0: This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we're offering five conversations from episode 60. Our special coverage of Madrigal Pharmaceutical's release of Maestro Nash Phase 3 data, originally posted this past Wednesday. This conversation, the last month from the larger group, starts with me following up a couple of earlier comments. First, the fact that in other diseases, combination therapy can get approved before each element of the monotherapy has been approved individually. And second, that Stomaglutide's Phase 2 result, with its 72-week effects on steatosis and any activity score but not fibrosis regression aligns neatly with Scott Friedman's earlier question about the relationship between fat lowering and uh, fibrosis given that not all fat lowering may mean the same thing in the liver. Jorn Schottenberg and Mazin Nouradine follow up with other comments about NAS, fibrosis, and lipotoxicity. After which, Jorn notes that there's already a second THR beta in trial from Viking Therapeutics and asks what this trial might mean for Viking. Mazin goes on to cite Terns Pharmaceuticals as another company with other drugs including a THR beta in pipeline and believes Terns will benefit as well. Scott Friedman asks what all this means for cirrhosis, um, and Rachel Zayas, in response to a question from me, discusses the development work her company is doing and how these results might affect her work and ability to raise resources. As we wind down, I ask the group what topic we've not covered yet. Chris Cowley describes one more way that the use of companion diagnostics against dose response and non-responsible aid payers. Louise Campbell discusses how we might consider this drug a major anti-cancer advance, given that the liver is implicated not only in hepatocellular carcinoma, but in non-hepatic cancers and each group member shares one closing takeaway here in nashville where we all live the world changed for good on monday this is a quick take on some of what that change might look like it will be interesting in years ahead to look back on this conversation to see what we got right and wrong and you get a sneak peek right now so sit back listen enjoy learn and when you're done join the conversation in our linkedin discussion group Mazin
1: nuruddin
2: there's a tremendous excitement today, and I've, I've consulted for companies that they intentionally did not want to go to NASH because they said uh, the investors are tired and fatigued and frustrated. So yes, and like sponsoring is important, and to me, like I would like them to more to pour some of that money in patient advocacy awareness.
0: Um, in addition to you know just investments and stuff like that. So a couple of, a couple of questions or naive comments or both. Question slash naive comment number one. I made the statement on the podcast several months ago that you could never get you could not get a drug approved combination drug approved until the individual agents elements have been approved. And we got feedback that that isn't accurate in antivirals and in some situations in oncology. So it seems to me that. It, it's certainly not reliable in most cases. It's not clear to me whether that'll turn out to be the case in Nash or not. I mentioned that because I think it's turns whose strategy is about going straight to combination. And I know THR Beta is one of the things they're looking at to go straight to combination in, and I doubt, you know. So we may actually see people pursuing that path as a way to market, thought number one. Thought number two, Going back to something Scott said earlier, and that's kind of what Mastin just said, so SEMA has a, what, a 72-week trial that shows uh, effect on, on uh nash activity score, but not on regression of fibrosis? I, I think that is the single thing that walks me right next to where Scott was when he talked about how compelling it was that this drug proves it could do both or that it could regress fibrosis without having direct antifibrotic fibrotic activity because it says that there's something different going on here than what goes on with at least that GLP-1.
2: You're right. I, I think also Scott was commenting about the type of the fat that needs to be melted as the I, I thought it was a brilliant comment that depends on which type of fat and urine added to that lipotoxicity versus not. Uh, so yeah, I, I do agree with that and I do agree that it's uh, encouraging data for semaglutide. Uh, I mean, don't we, we should recall the data from the NAS-CRN uh, that showed if clearly that if you reserve... Uh, reverse uh, uh, res- NASH resolution or, or you achieve NASH resolution or two-point NASH improvement, you will eventually get fibrosis improvement. It's just uh, a matter of time. So, yeah, all great comments.
3: Jaren Schattenberg. That's good comment, and, and it feeds back to the theme of, you know, personalized therapy and obviously the presence of uh, lipotoxicity as a driver of the disease uh, to be um, you know uh, addressable by the mechanism of action of the drug that's required. Uh, still, as you said, uh, it's rightful uh, that um, the the, that trial has started recruiting in the US and Europe is going to be starting up soon. So uh, that is important. You know, one more thing I had on my mind, we haven't uh, discussed yet. Um, I found interesting that there's actually a second compound in class. So we're discussing out of class combinations, but there's a second thyroid hormone receptor beta agonist. Um, and uh, it's gotten a little more quiet around it. I think uh, the company is called Vikings. And uh, um, what could that mean for other, do you know, do, you know we, do we need something uh, in the same class to be developed and um, see how the those um data are replicated being different drugs and d- go ahead.
2: Uh good point, Joran. I think turns is actually at um uh, great advantage of the results today. They have multiple drugs in the pipeline. They have TH beta, they have FXRs and others. I, I do think that Sure. I mean, we we would like to see more drugs and see their efficacy and all this. We, we still don't know if other TH betas will achieve uh, what resimitorum achieved today. I, I do encourage other research in that area and that incredibly important receptor uh, that proven to play a big role in NASH.
1: Scott Friedman.
2: Yeah, there's there's one
4: other element that you embedded in your question, Roger, which is, uh, or maybe you didn't, but I inferred it, is uh, what about the unmet need in cirrhosis? Because to me, that's really the most urgent unmet need because those are patients who are rapidly moving on to transplant lists or developing liver cancer. And yet they lose many of the features that seem so ripe for Benefit from resmediram, like reduction in fat, improvement in glucose homeostasis. You know, many of those patients are already losing weight. And so, uh, and I, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Mazan or Yorn or Chris, uh, Madrigal has a cirrhosis trial ongoing. Personally, I wouldn't be surprised or disappointed if it wasn't nearly as effective in cirrhotic patients as in patients who have more cold NASH with fat and inflammation as much as I hope it is effective because it may well be that there are different therapeutic targets that are critical to try to improve fibrosis once the liver has already gone to a cirrhotic stage.
0: I think you will find that it's easier to get investment now into other THR betas because at least you've now proven that one should be able to get over the finish line. If there's a second one being studied and the um, entrepreneurs or a company, liking being a small company, can make a compelling case that theirs might work better? on any dimension that matters, that's easier money to raise than what everybody's trying to do for modes of action that haven't been demonstrated yet, even if they can prove staggeringly good results.
4: Yeah, well, there's a long history of 1st in class is not best-in-class. It started with statins, or at least that's the most uh, vivid uh, example, but it also worked in hepatitis B and C antiviral therapy.
0: And that's only because you live in hepatology, Scott. I will tell you that the only time in medical history outside of oncology, maybe even in oncology, up until 2015 that the first drug in was the market leader on the day it went generic was Prozac. And that's across all uh, cardiology, all lots of things. Just someone always came up with something better. Rachel, anything that you're working on looking on right now that has any bearing on the question of what might be under the hood here? and we're, what subtleties might be embedded in the questions people have been asking. And you can say no, by the way. That's a wild card question.
1: Rachel Zayas. I, I
5: I would say yes. And actually we're at an interesting point uh, in, internally in the company because of course, we, we need to have a, for context for everybody on this call and all the listeners, my company is developing two non-invasive diagnostic tools one that can differentiate statosis from NASH, and a second tool that can stage fibrosis from a targeted epigenetic sequencing assessment. So the first question is linking each of those to biological relevance. What's happening directly in the liver? How do we know that this is coming from the tissue of origin and associated with a biologically relevant assessment? And for context of use, we uh, initially started developing these tools as diagnostic focuses. But then it, it, it's something that within our pipeline, we're looking at if we can also monitor therapeutic efficacy and which drugs and how relevant are these to specific therapies. So that is something that we are grappling with internally and something that we're really interested in in uh, in, in conducting. So we're talking to some places right now that I'll keep internal at this point, but this is definitely relevant. And uh, as a geneticist by training and as a focus who has a focus in genetics uh, a a lot of this is really under explored territory and I think we're just starting to understand so one thing is we were just discussing uh, first in class is not always best in class so what we're doing is we're trying to get our MVP to market and and then further develop that to make sure it it is the best so um, a lot of synergies here with what we're doing as well
0: we're almost an hour into this, which is usually the point in time at which we start trying to move towards the end. Um, but before I even think about moving towards the end, uh, all of you, what haven't we? T- what itch haven't we scratched that you folks came out of today's
1: announcement with? Chris Caudley. One of the most important uh, downstream benefits will be uh, if these results are consistent over time from a standpoint of non-invasive tests, since we have such a rich plethora of non-invasive tests. And this is a trial where the non-invasive tests done in parallel that includes both MR, as well as transient elastography and liquid markers, if you will, show uh, a relationship between dose and response and dose and effect, Uh, then I think that will also be a very important shot in the arm for those of us who believe that although liver biopsy is a valuable tool, um, you know, is not um, not ultimately how we're going to be uh, helping this get into the hands of patients. And so, the companion diagnostics used here, from a um, from a treatment standpoint, from a point of view of payers, is going, are going to be very critical. And I think we need to uh, look at not only dose response effects, but also uh, non responder. Uh, data so that we can determine early on which patients are unlikely to benefit and then move on to other therapies so I think I think the the non-invasive uh, testing um, showing in parallel uh, similar results is very encouraging and I think we need to really uh, dive into that a lot more.
2: I'm glad that Chris mentioned this I, I was th- you know as you know before I, I presented data from uh, resmitrome on something I, I really worked on for. For the last two, three years, and which is the mass score, which consists of PDFF, MRE, and AST. And in a previous oral uh, from the resmitterum, we showed that mass dropped with the compared to the placebo. So I'm anxious and curious to see if that. Uh, Mass score will predict response to therapy. So I look forward to see that. Uh,
3: Roger, something that resonated with me also um, was in the follow-up questions by the investiga- investors, um, whether um, this wouldn't be now um, um, the real the right drug for all patients F1 through F4 opening this up. And the rightful answer was, of course, this trial was conducted um, uh, in an F2, F3 population. This is the label uh, I was going to read out. And I think we got to, you know, with all enthusiasm, and I felt that enthusiasm in that Question: Why don't we give it to all? Um, be reminded um, to really look uh, at the data. Re- be reminded on the patients that were enrolled. and They mentioned the metabolic risk factors, and that's important uh, if we want to achieve um, those response rates as they have been reported. So, um, I, while I could understood that uh, person's question, of why not give it to everybody with Nash? Uh, it's important to you know to 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 be remembered that um, efficacy was shown within that inclusion exclusion criteria, and um, we're not ready to to just leave that
0: yet. I, I think, by the way, some of that was a confusion on the part of the questioner about the idea that 5% of that population was F1. And uh, Becky uh, Todd then actually explained why an F1C patient might have been included. Uh, So I I, I think, first of all, you and I are in violent agreement on this, and my guess is so is everybody else on this call. But I think that that small um, set of F1 patients might have um, teased an investment analyst in the direction they just shouldn't have gone. And that was my read on what that was.
6: Louise Campbell. Can I just give you one more point? If we take this and it gets approval, and then we look at the long term, this could just be one of the biggest anti-cancer drugs to be developed because NAFLD and NASH and the cancer-driving mechanism of non-serotic NASH driving the cancer and liver cancer outbreaks at the moment around the world, this has the potential to turn around to be the biggest cancer investment that we could make by treating these patients. So if this really is as good as we're making it out to be today. We haven't even touched on the potential of reversal of liver cancer for these patients in the future. And that, that is just momentous. Much more
4: to say there, but I'll climb up in the interest of time. But a great point.
0: Well, actually, I just wanted everybody's closing comments. So I'm going to treat that as Louise's. And then, Scott, if you'd like that to be yours, go ahead.
4: Uh, just uh, dig deeper, find the science behind this, explain why this drug worked and in whom it
2: worked. Mazen, if you've got to jump, go next. Congratulations to Madrigal. Um, thanks for what they have done. Congratulations to the patients, most importantly. Thanks to all those that underwent liver biopsy. We promise you will take this away one day. And I look forward to see the future with the combination therapy and additional efficacies.
1: Yeah, an important milestone in terms of uh, now we have two trials that have shown positive results in phase three and a trial that showed both NASH resolution and fibrosis improvement with a a challenging regulatory pathway with regard to liver biopsy. So I think it in some ways reinforces that uh, drug development in NASH is possible. can be done uh, properly. This is going to lift all boats. I think it's very encouraging for patients, uh, given that we have this huge epidemic that's already upon us in terms of uh, fatty liver disease and the downstream consequences.
3: Mike Bartel. Um I, I just want to say that Stephen Harrison's picture of the graveyard, I'm so tired of seeing that negativity that this is finally an opportunity. Madrigal, congratulations, because your tombstone will not be added to that graveyard graveyard, and that's awesome. So, you
0: know, the article that drove the graveyard might have been authored by uh, a good friend and colleague of our podcast, Dr. Schottenberg, but we're, we're going to save that thought for Professor Schottenberg. We're going to save that thought for another day. Okay. Rachel? Well,
5: I want to say thank you to the patients uh, who participated in this clinical trial, as well as various others. Thank you to Madrigal, and I just want to echo Louise's comment that this might be the biggest anti-cancer uh, approach that we will have, in, in for decades to come as, as a uh, field, so I'm, I'm excited to see uh, additional endpoints from a field perspective to further extrapolate the implications that this has, so... Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity.
3: And, and and just thinking of, you know, all the investigators that are also contributing the patients. I mean, this means you keep your patient in a phase three trial, even if you're not the highest specialized NASH center, uh, only running NASH trials in, in that trial for such a long time, which is essential uh, for those positive results. Uh, congratulations to all these, all these patients uh, that stuck to it. And we're going to be reminded there's an ongoing it's an ongoing blinded study, um, and we're looking at the top line data here. And um, uh, it's just a big excitement from my from my end to to learn and and grow with that. Later.
6: No, I agree with my colleagues, fellow surfers, new to surfboards, old surfers, <laughs> you name it. But the future's looking bright. And I did a hepatitis C one. It's not necessarily the first wave that you're on. It may be the second, the third or the fourth wave that you catch that makes it the best wave.
0: In this case, 52 weeks on the way to 54 months. But um, so I come out of politics in the first place, most of you know. Deep Throat said to Woodward and Bernstein, follow the money. And um, because patients were generous with their livers and investigators had the faith to pursue were now to the point where I think we can stimulate, as Chris points out correctly, is the second trial that hit efficacy, uh, significant efficacy in phase three. We're now to the point where we can stimulate enough investigators to create enough money to, as Scott said, follow the science. There are systems that are self-amplifying and you need moments when the system amplifies. Uh, the rules change today. Uh, just a very simple level. The rules change. Stephen described this day as a watershed. Um, I thought Yasmin Rahimi's question on the podcast this morning, where she said when she read the press release of what, Te- it tears to her eyes. Cause God knows she invested a lot of companies that didn't get there or had her people invest in a lot of companies that didn't get there or might never get there. Um, All the rules change for all of us today. And so uh, I think it's just a better day for all.
3: And now back to Roger.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We will be back next week with the rest of our year-end reviews. Two episodes that include conversations with Maza Nuruddin, Ken Kuzi, Jeff Lazarus, Stephen Harrison, Naim al and Ian Rowe. you want to hear all of it. Until then, wishing all of you a wonderful holiday season and best wishes for a fantastic 2023. Stay safe. Surf on. We'll see you next year on the podcast. Bye-bye now.